Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Gluten-Free Voice. This is a special edition of the Gluten-Free Voice tonight. I'm very excited to be able to honor the group of folks who dedicated so much energy and time to our 1 in 133 cake event this time last year. It's a pretty phenomenal event. For those of you who followed it, we built the world's tallest gluten-free cake, and we did that in Washington, D.C., not just to say we did it, which is kind of cool too, I guess, but to say to the FDA and the news media and everyone else out there who was unaware that we want gluten-free food labeling laws. There were no gluten-free food labeling laws at the time, even though under the Food Allergen Labeling Consumer Protection Act of 2004, uh, FDA was supposed to have issued these regulations in 2007, and they had not yet done so. So we thought, what better way to draw attention to the fact that these food labeling laws had not been put out, these regulations from the FDA, than to build the world's tallest gluten-free cake. So I've invited the, my cohorts in this endeavor to join me throughout the, um, the radio show this evening. They're going to be coming on here and there. A lot of them work in the food industry and are, of course, very busy at 7 o'clock on a Thursday night. So they're going to be popping in and out. And the first person that I wanted to welcome to the show is Michelle Tempakis. Michelle, thank you for coming on. Hi, Jules. It's so nice to hear your voice. It's great to hear your voice, too, Michelle. There's a lot of pictures up on my blog post, which is um, under blog.julesglutenfree.com, of us building the cake. And one of my favorites is of you and I on the ladder and at the very last hour, you know, trying to put the finishing touches on it. I know. It's, it was it was quite an interesting night. But um, I, I want to back up for just a second, Michelle. I, I, would you please just describe how you became involved in the 1 in 133 event? Because you and I had never laid eyes on each other until you showed up the day before to my house and um, helped us, you know, for 24 straight hours after that. But so <laughs> if, you, if you could just sort of back up and, and give a little background on you and why you and I even started to uh, to talk to each other before the cake event. Well, I had started buying some of your gluten-free flour when I realized that I had celiac a few years ago. And um, I guess you and I started an email dialogue because the, my signature on my email you know, indicates that I teach baking. And um, so I think we had started going back and forth, and I was telling you, you know, oh, I have this recipe, and, and our dialogue sort of started from there. And then... I'm not quite sure how we ended up on the phone, maybe over, again, a product or a question. Um, and you mentioned something about building this cake. And I said, well, if you need a hand, you know, I'm not working those days. <laughs> and you had no idea what you were in for. <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun. I love stuff like that. I love products. God love you. You were a, such a trooper. So you tell us, um, everyone, where you are teaching right now. I teach at the Institute of Culinary Education in Manhattan. I teach regular baking to the aspiring pastry chefs. And um, I've started teaching a lot of gluten-free baking classes uh, that are sort of my own takeoffs on the stuff that I've been teaching here all these years, but with gluten-free ingredients. Uh, so we have about nine or ten of those right now on the recreational calendar that people can take their single-day classes. And uh, they're topics like gluten-free breads or breakfast baking or now we have an entertainment class, which is a full menu, and um, it gives me an opportunity to sort of convert 
things that I've been baking here over the years to gluten-free versions, uh, and it really has helped me to learn a lot more about the ingredients that go into gluten-free baked goods and understand them, you know, more from a teacher's perspective. Well, how long ago was it that you were able to sort of, you know, introduce these gluten-free cooking classes? Because I remember when you and I first started talking, you were lamenting that the majority, if not all of the classes, were gluten classes. So you right. you as a celiac were working with gluten, you know, flours, right. gluten doughs, yeah. gluten recipes, right? Yeah, and I still am because the career program only, we've only managed to incorporate one day's worth of material that's gluten-free and the other 99 days worth are mm-hmm. using regular ingredients. But uh, these recreational classes, I would say, two or three years now um, we've been offering them, and I keep adding a couple of new ones. Now I'm working on a tapas class. I was just in Barcelona, Spain with my daughter, and um, one of the things that made me so sad was every tapas place we went to had these beautiful crusty breads with the Um, tomatoes and the jamon and the anchovies, and I was like, okay, (laughs) we've got to do something about this. We're going to make our gluten-free baguettes and have wonderful tapas. So that's, uh, that's a class I'm working on right now for our next calendar. Well, I need to figure out a way to pop up there and take one of your classes. That I'd amazing. love that. Yeah, I'd love that. That would be so fun. Yeah. Well, so you and I were chatting about recipes, and I think we were talking about patashu and, and pastry recipes with gluten-free flours, and, and I think that's how sort of I came up. Oh, by the way, we're building this enormous cake. <laughs> but, again, I don't think you had any idea what you were in store for because you showed up here. And, actually, we Lee Tobin from Whole Foods, who um, will be on in a little bit, he and I actually consulted with you a little bit in converting my original cake recipe to the scale that right, it went massive. to ultimately. <laughs> right. Yeah, and you had some really great tips because, you know, the home baker has a recipe with, you know, three cups of flour and right. you know, that kind of thing. And when you're talking about something of the scale right. and the magnitude of this, multiply I mean, you can't that just by put... 500, right? Exactly, I know. <laughs> this particular cake for everybody who um, is listening and, and curious about, about this cake. This cake had so much flour and ingredients and everything in it that it weighed um, over a ton. And, in fact, it had my flour, was the gluten-free flour, and it was 547 pounds of flour that went into this thing. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was pretty phenomenal stuff. So I don't know who else on earth could have baked that but Lee Tobin in uh, the Whole Foods Gluten-Free Bakehouse in North Carolina. But it was nice to have you on the line to be able to talk about, you know, oh, my goodness, how are we going to convert this? And it's not <laughs> rising like we wanted to in batches of 500 pounds, you know. So it was that was quite quite a stretch, but you were – you're really helpful in that. And then you showed up here, and, you know, we had been working for quite a while on the concept for the cake, but then we had to put it all together. So, um, you know, I think, did you even see the plans that Jeff had drawn up before you showed up at my house no, the day before? No, I saw them at your house. Yeah, that was the first <laughs> so time I saw them. So you went on faith <laughs> that we were going to go pull this thing off. I know. I Jeff, are you on the line? I am. Hi, so Jeff. Jeff Rasmussen, yeah, hi. Hello. Thank you for hi, being. How you doing, <laughs> Thank Jeff? you for being on the phone. Jeff was on the back end of this whole thing. Um, he was the architect of this cake, and Structural I, I can't. He, yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I still to this day don't know how he did it. And again, if you go to um, our Flickr site for one and one three three dot org, or if you go on to blog.jewelsglutenfree.com and you type in a search for one and one three three, you'll see tons of cool pictures, and one of them is Jeff sawing away with his detailed plans, and um, he was working tirelessly for months 
concepting how to structurally build this cake. So, Jeff, um, how'd you do that? I was afraid you were going to ask me how I did that. <laughs> Jules, I'm going to have to it say out. goodbye because I've got to get back to my class. I'm sorry, Jeff, I can't hear the story, but I'm going to hang up. No, and you can actually listen to the podcast later, Michelle, because the podcast is available. Will. Yeah. Hey, and thank you for taking time away from your class. I really appreciate you calling in. It, it was, was so nice to hear, to hear your voice. You. We will well, have Michelle. to, we'll have to too, come Jeff. up and see you in New York. Please do. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. So how did you do it? How did you structurally engineer this monster? Well, I did not get a building permit for Washington, D.C. <laughs> but you should have. Um, I, I guess I built enough things throughout my life to know uh, you know, about weight distribution and things like that. And just, well, you, you saw it. It took me months. It's not like we did it in the context of a 30-minute reality show. It, it, there was lots of uh, head scratching and trips to the building store to just stare there and look at things. Um, and Hours. Basically, I, at some point, you and um, I and Lee had to just decide how big the base layer was going to be, and then we just, you know, scaled it up from there until it reached a point. <laughs> yeah, and there's actually a picture on um, on my post on blog.jewelsglutenfree.com. There's a picture of Lee Tobin sitting in front of his computer, and what is on his computer screen <laughs> is that hilarious scale model of the cake that you built um, for him to, you know, because you just sort of have to wrap your mind around, okay, how big is the base so that you know how tall it's going to be, and the scale model has actually my daughter's Polly Pocket standing next to it, so <laughs> is, it was really funny. That was Lee Tobin's screensaver for quite a while, but yeah, building this thing was, was a monster, and you know, although it would have drawn a lot of attention to our efforts had it fallen over on, on that that night, had falling over on like on a congressperson probably wouldn't have gone over great, and that was not our goal. So, in order, but it would to, have gone viral. It would have. It would have gotten lots of attention. But so you managed to you know sort of create the base layers of all of this, which involved plywood to the tune of 135 pounds of plywood. You either take good notes or you have a good memory. I wouldn't have remembered that. <laughs> I took good notes. Okay. No, I knew I would forget all of this stuff, but it was too interesting to let it go by. There were 135 pounds of plywood, and you pre-cut each layer um, before we got there to the event. And then how did you structurally unite those layers with the plywood for anybody at home who wants to do this? Well, I've stared out a lot of windows at jobs I was supposed to be working at and watched construction crews, and I'm wishing I was a construction worker so I could just go home at the end of the day and be tired. But um, I've watched you know, people pour concrete floors and tie one floor into the next floor with rebar and things like that. So the thought was to build this cake in modules um, according to the weight and according to you know how high we thought we could lift a given layer over the rebar that was sticking out of the layer um, beneath it. So I think we call it, you know, three feet modules, if you will. So the first layer had holes in it through which we had structural rebar sticking. Um, and then we just, they w would literally poke up through the cake and we would set the next one down on top of that layer through the, you know, the rebar coming through this, the next layer. And then about the third or fourth layer, we would actually um, screw those four layers together, compress them as a sandwich. But what kept it from squishing the cake was the PVC pipe that we had inside the cake. We actually had two or three inch PVC pipe. So it actually, the, the, the uh, any given layer of cake sat on plywood, which sat on um, the PVC. So when, when we got three or four layers together, we could cinch them together. So 
technically we were just building a tower um, of wood and PVC surrounded by cake. So there, there you go. There's the dirty little secret. But it's the secret that kept it from falling over. Wow. Um, now that you're describing it that way, it sounds even more complicated than I remember it. Um, yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, I Again, I still don't quite understand how you did that, but it was well-planned, well-thought-out, and involved, like I said, 135 pounds of plywood, 40 feet of PVC pipe, 30 feet of one-half-inch threaded rod, and uh, somehow all came together. And, you know, again, there's pictures on the web if you'd like to watch that happen a little bit um, along the way. But I'd also like to welcome in um, Aggie Statura. Thank you for calling. Oh, you hey, there, so Aggie? Well, yes, I am. <laughs> Hey Aggie. Hey, Aggie. Ag- oh, hey. Oh, that's all right. Aggie has the um the honor of being married to Lee Tobin, who I've mentioned already on the show and we'll be calling in, in a bit, who was the uh baker behind the entire cake. He and his team at the Whole Foods Gluten Free Bakehouse were the ones who baked all of this massive amount of cake. But the cool part is that Aggie is uh, an amazing cake decorator in her own right and has um, quite a long history of cake decorating in the past and has wowed me on a number of occasions when we've been together and she's just whipped up these gorgeous concoctions. So I was eager to have Aggie on board and thank goodness she agreed to actually come and help us again. Just like Michelle, I have, don't think you have any idea what you were in for, but <laughs> we had a good time and you were right there with us the whole time. She was the cake decorator extraordinaire. Tell us a little bit about your experience cake decorating and how you met Lee and, and all that kind of good stuff, because I think it's a really fascinating story. Well, uh, cake decorating is pretty much I, I have a sweet tooth, uh, so that's how I got into baking. And I think we all do. It's <laughs> a good point. Oh, no. uniting <laughs> the theme there. Yes, and my father was an artist, so I always like to do creative things, and decorating cakes is a way to make edible art. So it was a way to combine <laughs> mm. combine art and sugar. And it's ephemeral, so it doesn't just sit around the house. It just if you do your job well, there's nothing left. It's gone quickly. Yes. It's just an exactly. empty plate. Just a plate of crumbs and that's the best compliment uh a baker can get. So So how many years were you a cake decorator? I did that for thirteen years. Wow. Well, yeah. I don't feel so bad now that your cakes are so much prettier than mine. <laughs> You're a much better cake decorator than I will ever be. Yeah, you know, if you do, like, decorate, like, 20 cakes a day, you know, the practice adds up. So. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so, um, I guess. And, uh, I, never, know, even, <laughs> I can't even imagine decorating that many cakes a day, but I give you props. You have made some gorgeous ones. and. The photos that we have up of you are are pretty neat too because the the interesting thing that we taxed you with was okay design and this is a massive cake that obviously just needs you know frosting plastered all over it but then you just can't have this big tall white cake right so we yeah. went to the cake decorator and said you know the celiac color is green so should we have you know maybe some green accents and you went with it and I think it looked beautiful. I tried the you know the scale is just so massive um yeah but it seemed like uh, a Corelli lace which is just like a little lace pattern on alternate layers would be be quick enough and would you know break up all that expansive white 
So that was yeah. <laughs> yeah, and quick was really important because if you look oh, yeah. closely at the picture of the the very tallest, you know, picture where we're all looking up at it, mm-hmm. the curly green doesn't even go all the way up because A, yeah. we ran out of time, and <laughs> B, we couldn't get the ladders behind the cake yeah. tall enough to reach around there without falling. And I am yeah. not a fan of heights, and I was on the very tippy top of that ladder for too long. But it, um, the other thing is you can see at the bottom – there were a bunch of extra side cakes, and we had this idea that, you know, there were all these people who were coming to this event. Let's let mm-hmm. them decorate some cakes, too. And mm-hmm. I honestly, don't you think that they just did some really amazing, fun things, and, you know, just ribbons and, and, you know, gluten-free rocks, and, mm-hmm. you know, they wrote all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. A lot of kids did it, and the, mm-hmm. the side cakes and having, you know, the interaction of being able to decorate some of those cakes, I think was really mm-hmm. neat for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think it was a fantastic idea. It was fantastic to make it really accessible to people. Like they're part of it. Not only are they watching this amazing cake being built, but they're a part of it. And then they can decorate their own. And then they got to try the cake. They got to you know take all those samples and, and eat them. I thought that was a fantastic idea. Yeah, and and we also made the cake in, entirely um, dairy free as well, thanks to Earth Balance um, soy milk and mm-hmm. their Earth Balance buttery sticks. So everyone mm-hmm. there had a gluten and dairy free cake that they could yep. eat, and it was mm-hmm. um, I think universally well loved. But you know, not mm-hmm. just the scale of it, but the fact that it actually tasted good was kind of a bonus <laughs> too. But that was that, that was really neat. It was a neat. win-win. <laughs> it was a win-win. And then the other really cool thing that you were a part of, which was kind of neat too, was. Dr. Fasano, Dr. Alessio Fasano, who was there um, as well and and spoke to the group, his mother from Italy happened to be there that day, and it happened to be her birthday. And you whipped up a gorgeous birthday cake for her. And Cynthia Cooper's birthday was also, like, I think the next day or something. So then you whipped up another beautiful birthday Mm -hmm. cake for Cynthia. I mean, in the middle – I don't think people can quite grasp how crazy this was. I and mean, we had been up all night the night before. We were and we started wee early hours of the morning and this yep. thing had to be done by 5 because the event yep. started at 5, the congress women were coming at 5, the FDA was coming. So it had to be done. And somehow mm-hmm. Aggie found time to decorate two other gorgeous birthday cakes for people and I, I just was flabbergasted at the end of the night it that you were fun. able to do that. It was fun. They gave me Aaron gave me room in the in the kitchen and all of the cooks, all of the chefs in the hotel kitchen were great. They gave me a space. They said, What do you need? You know, here's some pastry tips, um, here's here's spatulas, anything I needed, they gave it to me. So I was able to put together two um two birthday cakes, whipped up a bunch of frosting roses for them and it was it was a blast. It was great. And yeah, I, I mean, remember how to say happy birthday in Italian. You know? <laughs> and, uh, we, and we did. Uh, we sung happy birthday yeah. to her. Yeah. That, yeah. And it was so special, I think, for her to be there and see her son, too, Dr. Fasano, and all the things that he has done and the wonderful words that he had to share that night when um, when the speeches were, were going on about how far things have come. Because Dr. Fasano really, you know, he is a researcher, he is a physician, he is a, an mm-hmm. educator at the University of Maryland Center for um, Celiac Research and the medical school, but he also has spearheaded a lot of these initiatives for, um, you know, on the Hill, lobbying efforts for labeling laws and things like that. So it's been a real long passion for him and for him Mm -hmm. to be able to be there and to see this coming to fruition and have his mother there at the same time. I think it was really, it was very, very cool. And so for you to, Hmm? go ahead. 
I was going to say, no, I was just going to say, I think for you to give them the cake was awesome. It was great. And and probably, I don't know if my favorite part was the look on her face when she got this cake and we sang to her, or the look on his face when he realized he was going to have to put it in his, in his like, Corvette. Oh, I know. You know he has some kind of an incredibly gorgeous, expensive Fancy, sports car, car. And he, yeah, yeah, he was like, that cake's not going in my car. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I'd forgotten about that. Oh, that's hilarious. Yes, I totally I'm going to have to rib him about that. I'm seeing him this weekend at the Charlotte Gluten Free Expo. We're having dinner together tomorrow night, actually. I'm totally going to give him a hard time about that, ask him whatever <laughs> happened to that cake. But um, So for everybody who's curious about just how much frosting it took to frost this massive cake, which ended up being over 11 feet tall, by the way, it took 700 pounds of frosting. And I remember when the truck, you know, backed up and and put all that for the frosting out back on the back deck for at you know, the hotel where we were um, erecting all of this stuff, and it was just humongous, like as big of a bucket as you've ever seen, bucket after bucket after bucket of frosting. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, this is plenty of frosting, and it was <laughs> just right. We did not have anything to spare at the end of the day. It was. Yep. And it was um, that was another thing that that Lee you know whipped up at at um, the Whole Foods Gluten Free Bakehouse. So thank goodness for them. But yeah, that was um, I think that was the largest frosting uh, piping bags that I've ever seen as well. I don't know where <laughs> you guys got those, but they were massive. I mean, and how we were I, I don't know. It was just it was such a remarkable coming together of skill sets. Don't you think, Aggie? I mean, just like oh, I, you know, I don't know. Jeff, are you still on the line? I am. <laughs> you're, you're like, I, I don't even want to think about this anymore. I remember <laughs> I remember afterwards, and we were all just, you know, so exhausted from working, 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 and this taking over our lives for months and saying, you know, we will never, ever, you know, do anything like this ever again. And I think now that it's been a year later, and I'm not proposing that we do this again. Good, because I, I still don't. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> so noted. But, but I think it's been enough time now that we can look back fondly and oh, yeah. you remember the funny things that happened, but at the time we were just stress cases. But um, it was fun. It was it was um, it was unlike anything I have ever done before, and I can't imagine a better group of people to do it with. <laughs> well, I um, it was fantastic. Yeah, I've I've got to jump off in a couple of minutes, but I, I want to say you know you comment about it's amazing how this coming together of all these people, but. Um, there's probably only one person in the gluten-free community that could have pulled that off, and, and that's just the builders. And then you brought together every influential leader in the community. You, you know, you and your partners got the FDA to show up and some lawmakers. So kudos to you. It was a great idea. It was well executed. But um, talk about a ringleader, and that would, you would be guilty of that, Jules. So not to, you know, don't don't want you to forget that part, and I know you're too humble to do that. So one of us should. Not only was she the ringleader and brought us all together, but after we had been up all night, and I, for one, looked like I had been up all night, just before everyone showed up, you, you disappeared and came back two seconds later in this beautiful dress, perfectly coiffed, looking refreshed and beautiful and ready to meet the press and meet all the big wigs. I was, I was like, what? Bell of the ball, yep. How did you do that? <laughs> you guys are too kind. I I think no, I was leery eyed. Like, um. No, you look beautiful and refreshed. I was like, wait a minute. I felt uh. like I was up all night decorating cake, but you well, were just like, you know, 
gorgeous and camera ready and, and oh, you're so sweet. It, that, I think that's that's a really interesting point though that you bring up that there really were two sides to the story. I mean, mm-hmm. um, there was the whole cake effort that you know was massive in and of itself, and you know was the undertaking that we're describing. It was just unbelievable how incredibly um, detailed every aspect of this cake building had to be, and coming together and bringing everyone together, you know, all the different pieces to the puzzle to make that happen. But simultaneously, there was this whole organization of the of the event, managing the media and the press, and um, you know, and actually the the event venue, and you know, orchestrating all of that. And then, also on top of that, the lobbying effort. So it was really a massive, massive undertaking. And as part of that, you know, I, I have to acknowledge my partner in crime, John Forberger, because he mm-hmm. really took over the media and the press piece completely and, you know, was very little that any of us had to do in that regard. And so without John, you know, we would not have been on the front page of the Washington Post. We would not have been in Forbes. We would not have been in the Huffington Post. You know, so... Without John, those things would not have happened. And arguably, you know, the Congress people might not have paid attention if we weren't on the front page of the Washington Post. That's just the reality of the way things are. So welcome, John, to the program tonight. Hey, Joel, how are you? That was the greatest introduction I've ever had in my life. (laughs) Well, you deserve it. I mean, we all, like, without every single one of us, it would not have come together like at it as it did, but I've got to give you major props for all of the you know media and outreach that you did and and i you know we've got to also comment on the fact that we gathered over ten thousand signatures from the the community in this very short period of time, all saying. Yes, we agree. Why has the FDA not done this? We want gluten-free food labeling. And you were the the you know the conductor of that orchestra as well. You set up the petition. You like you know I, I think you paid out of pocket for the petition website. You know you're like this just needs to happen. So you just did it. And uh, you know I I really have to give you major major props for that because without the petition, without the media, I mean the cake would have been great and fun and everything, but it might not have accomplished what we all set out to do. Now, I, I will take the compliment, but at the same time, it's everyone's part that, that made it ultimately what it was. I mean, without the visual of the cake, uh, the press could have shown up and said, okay, what am I looking at? Oh, a bunch of people, and it's a cocktail party, or it's like every other event I've been to. So, you know, as much as the media was a massive, massive draw, it was also the visual of the people, and then with the petition, it was everything apart. And I think the holistic... Uh, attraction of what it all became was really the the appeal on, on a mainstream basis because if we had the cake and it was just an event for a cake, we would have had great pictures and great visuals and great media and the you know, social media would have been active and, and lively because of the nice picture. But, you know, it, it was every single component. We're very proud of what we did. And uh, as I look at this giant tree in my, in my front yard, I wonder if we can make a cake that high next year. I just got to see it. Uh, yeah, uh, Jeff would would definitely say no. <laughs> Jeff, poor Jeff. I think it it like it was so taxing on him because he you know had to worry about the structure for so long and, and you know having that weighing on your mind. Oh my goodness, if this thing falls over, it's you know nobody's gonna. It's all gonna be back on me. So I'm sure he would have no interest in doing that. But John, if you would like to be the architect of a cake like oh. that, we will all come to the event and clap for you. <laughs> You know what it really was? It was an event of first, you know, and, and that doesn't yes. happen often. 
where so many different pieces that have never happened before all have to work and work flawlessly all in the same day. And, you know, I, I think I speak for all of us when I say we were pretty nervous that all yes. of it was going to happen. But at the same time, we all had faith uh, virtually and in person with each other, and, and thank goodness we did, right? Yes. Thank goodness it, it all did come together. But um, I think, you know, there, it's probably worth actually explaining to folks who are listening about, you know, how it actually, how the idea of this actually came together. And then, you know, we took that idea and took it to Lee and Aggie and said, please help with this. And we took it to Michelle and we took, to, um, took it to Aaron, Chef Aaron, um, who was instrumental in orchestrating <clears throat> the venue, excuse me. And, you know, h- how did we come up with this idea? I think it's really interesting to hear this part of the story. Would you like to share it from your perspective? Sure. Yeah, I can start and then uh, please fill in. Um yeah, I had spoken to Jules Shepard, of course, uh, on the phone back in November or December on a chilly day, and we started talking about making the world's largest something. But it had to have a point. It had to have a goal, and it had to have um, – it had to activate something. And so I tasked her with making the largest – was it the largest pumpkin pie? Because you had a gigantic <laughs> pumpkin. No, no. Right? Your, your initial thought was bake the world's largest gluten-free cookie, and I said, no, 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 that's that's not going to work because it, that's all dependent upon the size of the oven. So you'd have to find the world's largest oven, and then the cookie would be as big as that. So we okay. were basically just kidding about this initially, but then you know something happened that that actually gave us reason to be serious about it. Yeah, I, I was pretty sick. And I had told you that. Uh, I had just come out of the hospital at that time, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I came out of the hospital after a horrible pancreatic attack, which is, which was ignited by um, my sensitivity to gluten. And uh, I was just pretty anxious and eager and frustrated and, and uh, I guess, a little embarrassed all the same time that I was inferior to this product, to this protein. <laughs> I was really over yeah. it. Well, and 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 you had been contaminated by a product that was labeled gluten free, but apparently was not, and and that had triggered your pancreatic attack with um, a gluten contamination. And so you and I were lamenting the fact that there was no federal regulation of how a manufacturer would indicate that their product was truly gluten free, Mm -hmm. and. In the context of all that, we had been joking around about this world's you know, largest cookie and the pumpkin and all those types of things. And, and I don't even honestly remember who it was who said, well, why don't we do something about it? <laughs> like, why don't we just actually, you know, create a, a media spectacle and mm-hmm. draw attention to the fact that the FDA has not acted as it should have and we'll build the world's largest, I don't know, cake. How about that? <laughs> And then it sort of took on a life of its own. Yeah, it was on the road. Yeah. It was just a split second. Yeah. Well, and and so then, you know, we started concepting it and and pulled Jeff in on it. You know, can you do this? Is this something that that is, you know, structurally feasible? Is that something that, um, you know, people could actually, um, you know, really – rely upon would not fall down, you know, and then, and, and I don't even remember where it started. Um, Jeff, are you still on the line? I don't know if he's, if he's gone or not. He, I don't remember if 
if we started out with something more meager, like, I don't know, a five-foot cake, and then we said, no, 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 that's not bigger, right. it's not big enough, and so it's got to be eight feet, or, you know, I'm not sure. But it finally wound up being over 11 feet tall, and how on earth that happened, I still am not quite sure. But, um, you know, I remember picking up the phone and calling in, you know, kind of like, friend favors from people and um one of the first people that I called was was Lee and I said um Lee I um want to run something by you and Aggie I don't know if you remember this or not like from your end but um I said you know I I think this is what we're going to do and he's like oh I think that's a fantastic idea you know you have to let me know how that goes <laughs> And I said, yeah, what you're not getting, what I'm getting out here. And he's like, what? <laughs> it was hilarious because he just, he was like, you know, okay, whatever. And then, and I said, but you're the man. You know, you you are the man to do this you because <laughs> you've got the ovens. Well, and, yeah. you know, honestly, I don't know how much people know about that facility, but it's a it's a huge facility in North Carolina, and the entire facility is gluten-free, and we wanted this cake to be edible. We weren't just mm-hmm. building this thing to say, you know, pay attention to us. The, that cake was edible by everyone mm-hmm. in the room who had celiac mm-hmm. disease, mm-hmm. and so I wanted it to be made in a dedicated facility, and I mm-hmm. sure was not going to be baking those in my oven because <laughs> each one of those cakes was, you know, probably each each sheet, I think, was bigger than a standard oven, wasn't it? Yeah, Do you remember? Sure. I think right. yeah, I think each one was actually yeah. bigger than a standard oven. Yeah. So uh, here we were, you know, trying to figure out how on earth to do this and honestly it it would not have happened if it were not for Lee and Whole Foods really stepping up and saying, you know, yes, we believe in the cause and we are going to help. And, you know, Whole Foods was was huge in that and, you know, allowing Lee to dedicate some time, uh, a considerable amount of time for he and his team to dedicate to doing that and then to also, um, you know, to donate a lot of the ingredients as well. So, for example, the just in the cake itself there were 270 pounds of eggs that was donated by whole foods the ingredients for the frosting and the sugar and all of that was um donated by whole foods there were 459 pounds of evaporated cane sugar <laughs> i mean you know that kind of thing is it costs money you know to do that and whole foods you know gave that hard cost of that money to the the project and obviously the time and expense that was involved with Lee and his team doing this and I also have to say when I went down to North Carolina to help Lee with the formula and there's pictures of that on my website as well as on the Flickr site and we're standing in front of one of those enormous ovens that he has there in the bakehouse and and me and my hairnet which I just you know <clears throat> love that picture but um and I got the pink headband under the hairnet though um so going down there working on all that and his entire team was totally on board they were like if we have to work off the clock to do this we will do it and it's because it, it's a cause that people understand it's something that will help people it's something that you know will make a difference in every one of the people's lives who eats gluten-free for medically necessitated reasons which is more and more people every single day so mm-hmm. you know it was something that they believed in and you know dedicated so much energy and time to so i just i have to give them 
you know, huge thanks for that. And Lee, as a matter of fact, the workaholic that he is, is not on the line yet because he's on his way home from work at the Whole Foods Bakehouse. And what time did he go in this morning, Aggie? Um, probably like six thirty. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a man who is completely dedicated to the gluten-free cause, and so we were honored to have him on board and expect that he will be joining us in a few minutes on his uh, – he's on his way home now. I talked to him on the bus earlier, but, yeah, he's he puts in a full day's work, and he put in a full day's work and then some in order to pull this thing off. So it's pretty exciting from to watch from standing back and looking at it, but um, the picture of us standing next to that – that oven was actually in USA Today, and it was pretty neat. It was it was like one of those once in a lifetime things, but it only happened because of Whole Foods and because of Lee. You know, really going to them and saying this is important. John, you know, really I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, can you can you flesh out just a little bit of more about how you were able to you know get a hold of the news media? Um, and impress upon them the importance of this in such a short period of time. Because, like I said, it was in USA Today, it was in Washington Post, Forbes, Huffington Post. You know, how how did you you know shout our message loud and clear to get their attention? Sure. Uh, basically, it was working every single evening after work on my laptop until about two o'clock in the morning, and that lasted for about three and a half weeks. And that was straight. Those are three and a half consecutive weeks where that that's just what I did. Uh, it was a little bit of sharing my personal story in the email, in the actual email pitch, and then it was sharing the idea of this is really going to happen and these are the players that are involved, more are coming. Uh, and it was building that excitement of, a, of an event that uh, was one that no one's ever heard of before. And, of course, that attracts media attention. Secondly, it attracted, attracted attention because it was down in D.C. where the change could happen. And once people realized, oh, wow, you're not doing this, uh, I don't know, in South Jersey, let's say, where I live, you're actually doing this in the face of the people that can make the change. Okay, well, you know, you peak their age a little bit more. And then it was follow-up calls to those emails. Uh, there were Twitter direct messages and tweets. <laughs> there were text messages with reporters that, six o'clock in the morning, it goes on and on. But it was basically hammering it down until we got our story told um, to the right people. And trust me, for every one person who said yes, there were 45 who said no. Yeah, so you could imagine, and you just had to be persistent. Yeah, you just had to be persistent. You had to really believe mm-hmm. what you were saying. And I think the passion of what we were trying to put out there came across in the writing and on my phone calls, and including the phone calls you made, too. Mm-hmm. The area media and regional media, and I think that was a huge, huge help. Uh, yeah. Every single piece of it worked, only because the end goal was uh, was 100 percent distinctive. And right. with that, it was an easier sell. Had it been the fifth annual cake building, not so much interest. But first yeah. one, no one's ever done it. And let's keep in mind too, the timing was phenomenal because gluten free at that time and as it is now was just absolutely exploding. It was a, right. a hot topic. Everyone was talking about it. Uh, you cannot get away from it. And I think that, that stays true to this day as well. Okay. Well, I want to go ahead. There's some people on hold who have been waiting for a while to ask questions, and questions are coming in on Twitter and Facebook oh, as good. well. So um, let me just welcome you to the line. Caller, thank you for joining us. Did you have a question? 
Hello. Are you there, caller? Sometimes people put the the phone on mute when they're on hold for a while. Is your phone on mute? Hello, do you have a question? Okay, I'm going to have to put you on mute and go to someone else. Someone on Twitter has just now asked me a question, and I think it's a great question because I've gone on and on about various other um, people who are supporting the cause and did support the cause. Who else were the other key partners other than Whole Foods? And if you go to 1in133.org, you can see the full list of the partners. And, you know, just to name a few, as John mentioned um, and Jeff mentioned as well, we, we got all of the major um, you know, celiac research centers and consumer groups and all of that all on board, which was pretty phenomenal in and of itself just to get everyone to sort of agree to it. So we have the Center for Celiac Research, the Gluten Intolerance Group of North America, the University of Chicago Celiac Disease Center, the Celiac Disease Center at Columbia University Medical Center. We had Living Without Magazine, the Celiac Disease Foundation. Um, we had, you know, other organizations, you know, smaller organizations like various uh, support groups on a local level, but who also donated a good deal of money, like the Gluten Intolerance Group of North Texas, for example. I had just been this oh, sure. to that group, and they actually rallied their local troops together and donated a ton of money to the cause. So it was really neat to see that. In terms of corporate sponsorships, of course, Whole Foods, as I mentioned, Earth Balance donated all of the um, the butter, the substitute that they were um, that was used to build the cake, and in fact, I think that was let's see, it was 45 pounds of vegan buttery sticks were used, and 91 pounds of soy milk. That's a that's a good deal of of stuff, you know, that they contributed to it as well, which was what enabled it to be a dairy free cake. Um, my company donated the um the flour that i mentioned the 547 pounds of flour which raised a few eyebrows at, at our plant i'll tell you <laughs> that but um oxford communications which is where you work john um they obviously were very um you know involved in helping this project out by letting you spend some of your time doing all of this you know wonderful pr work we also had dairy free which was another ingredient supplier. Embassy Suites was where we did the the cake building itself, and that's where Chef Aaron Flores was actually the head chef there, and he organized all of that. And Embassy Suites was wonderful in allowing us to build the cake there in their restaurant. And then, you know, we also had other big players who donated a lot of money. There's, you know, Glutino and Joy Life, King Arthur Flour, New World Foods, Bob's Red Mill, tons of, of companies like that donated, you know, hard costs because there were, I mean, PVC piping is not free, you know, because there's a lot of hard costs involved with that. And then my favorite part of this website is the sponsors. And if you scroll down, anybody who who gave money to this event, any individual who gave money to this event is listed there. And there's a long, long list of smaller companies as well as individuals who gave money. And, you know, without those donations, you know, a lot of this would not have been possible. We had to build the website. You know, we had – there's lots of hard costs involved with it. And then, of course, in terms of other sponsors, I consider everybody who showed up that day to be a sponsor because – I mean, I remember there were some people who we, we said, oh, we, we ran out of this. Can you run to Whole Foods and get some more of that? And they, th- without asking any questions, they just took off and went to Whole Foods to go get, you know, the ingredient that we needed or whatever. And there were a bunch of people who showed up to help with the lobbying effort as well. And so the people who showed up for the lobbying effort went with Beth Hilson and Andrea Lavario 
and Cynthia Cooper and others who all went to uh, Capitol Hill to lobby the lawmakers there. And Andrea Lavario from the American Celiac Disease Alliance, who's been on my radio show before, she is in charge basically for the entire gluten-free community of, you know, really rallying the troops in favor of any kind of lobbying effort. So she pulled all of that stuff together, was able to get the Congress people to come, was able to, um, you know, really talk to the FDA in the language that they're used to hearing and say, look, this is what we really need to have happen. And, you know, so they did all that work. And a lot of folks showed up that day while we were building the cake and, you know, obviously ogled at the building process, but then promptly left and went to go help them on the Hill to talk to their representatives. And then a lot of folks came. We had all these donations for goodie bags and things like that to give out to the people who were there. And we had a lot of people come and help put those goodie bags together, which was not an insubstantial amount of work because there were hundreds of bags and thousands of products that needed to go into each of those bags. And so there were support group leaders from local groups like the Annapolis group, for example, who showed up to really help do that. And it just it was such a fantastic day, like looking back on it, I remember going, you do this, you do that, you do this. And everyone was like, yep, I'm on it. And there was, you know, the energy, you know, I mean, Aggie, like I said about you, I mean, you, you were just, you know, frosting away night and day <laughs> with a smile on your face the whole time. There was no, you know, bickering. I don't really want to do that or I'm too tired. Or, I need to sit down. None of us ate. I mean, it was just, it was, we are here to get the job done and we all uh-huh. pulled our own weight and it, it was a fantastic, fantastic uh-huh. result at the end of the day for us to be able uh-huh. to look back and say, yeah, we did it. But uh-huh. Um, yeah, everybody, and 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 again, everybody who signed that petition, all ten thousand of you out there who are listening, we thank you for your voice in this because without you, it would have just been us saying, "Trust us." Everybody else is on board, but to get ten thousand people to, you know, it was what John, two months, I think, that we had to get people together on the signatures for the petition. Yeah, about two months total. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that. That's just it's. It's amazing that that everyone was able to come together and do that and to tell their friends about it and to really spread the word because what that did was it also in, increased the awareness in terms of, you know, just celiac disease in general or what is really gluten-free and who has a truly gluten-free product and, you know, all of those types of things um, flow when you start a conversation like people were starting by asking their friends to sign this petition. Oh, sure, and then think of all the people, too, that were signing up for the uh, petition and then sharing that on Facebook and educating friends. I had a couple of friends of mine that would sign the petition and then share it on Facebook on a post, and then their friends would ask, well, what is that? And they were getting phone calls about it. They were getting texts about it. And then those people, friends or family or coworkers or long-distance relatives, they were ending up donating to the cause or signing the petition. There was someone they knew, uh, you know, in their college class. Liz with celiac disease, and they were telling that person, oh, check out this website, this petition, you know about this event. And we had people flying from all over the country, including Canada, that uh, attended the event, which is which was blowing my mind when someone would walk over and say, oh, I just flew in from San Diego. Like, you flew yeah. from San Diego on an idea that was made up within 45 seconds. This is, <laughs> this is unreal. And mm-hmm. they just went right into it and said, I'll put on a T-shirt, and how can I hand out pamphlets? And and do you need me to wash the sheet cakes? And and it was just top to bottom uh, flawless in so many different, and, and probably every way. And that doesn't happen when you have an event coordinator or a wedding coordinator for a wedding, and somehow it 
all just happened. And like you said, no one said no, no one said I can't. I never heard anyone say I can't, including you and Lee and the whole rest of the team making the cake because you guys slept for about four hours and then came back to make the cake again. When I came and saw you guys, you had slept for, I think, three and a half, four hours, right? Not even. <laughs> yeah. Not even. Jeff slept less because I absolutely crashed. I crashed at like 4.30 in the morning, I think, and I got back up about 6.30 or 7, I think. I'm not sure, but he was already up before that and was downstairs because I, I just came bleary-eyed out there, and he was working and busy, so I know he had been up. And Aaron was up there with me the whole time. Aaron and I were frosting until 4.30. There's a picture of us like, you know, oh, my gosh, we're so tired frosting. Um, and, and you know, if you, if you do watch the flicker if you go through the flicker pictures it's really interesting to see how the cake is being built but how many of us it took to actually you know put the layers together and to thread the rod and all of that kind of stuff so it couldn't nobody could be sleeping <laughs> you really had to actually be there and and then you know Aggie would would come along behind you with a giant you know offset spatula and <laughs> patch everything that you had messed up along the way so yeah i mean it was just and it was really really interesting and i guess i should also say along the way it was kind of fun because um Brittany Angel from Real Sustenance, she and her husband came as well. She's another blogger, and she came and helped Frost a little bit the night before, and her husband Mm -hmm. is doing a PBS special about gluten-free and living gluten-free, and a big chunk of it is based upon, you know, this all of the activity around this event and the the energy and the need for gluten-free food labeling and why we we did the event. And so it's going to be fun to see that when it actually comes out. Like, I think there's maybe going to be some footage of us late night, Aggie, uh uh-oh, (laughs) because we were... We yeah, we were blasting music and singing and dancing and, and frosting cakes, you know, just trying to keep the energy up. So that could be interesting on a PBS special. But yeah, you know, backstory aside, I don't know. We'll see how that comes out. But thanks to Brittany Angel of Real Sustenance and and really and everybody else who came to to support us as well and, and you know, coming together with that. And a lot of other folks I've listed on um my website, blog.julesglutenfree.com. If you type in um, one and one three three in the search engine. You'll actually come up with my article. Why? How we built the world's tallest gluten-free cake and why? There's a ton of pictures. Some of them were sent in by other people, which we have to thank. We had a, a gentleman who's a professional photographer who came and donated mm-hmm. his services and took all kinds of wonderful pictures, which again totally donated. Um, we had a bunch of other bloggers there. We had. Um, we had Silvana Nardone, we had Amy Valpone, we had Linda from Gluten Free Homemaker, we had uh, Jill from Glow Gluten Free, we had um, Hayo from Custom Choice Cereal, all three of the magazines, Living Without, Gluten Free Living, Delight Magazine, all of them were there, you know, in full force, passing stuff out and, and helping. I mean, just, I, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving people out. I feel like, you know, this is an acceptance speech or something when you're, you, there's no way you could possibly la- name all the people who were so helpful. Um, but I, it was just, I, I can't thank everybody enough for all of the efforts that they put into it. And if I have neglected to list you, believe me, I am still grateful. <laughs> and so is John. Oh, absolutely. And one thing I wanted to mention, too, are all the support groups that would ask for copies of the petition in a print version. They were printing it out, bringing it to their support group meetings, having people hand-sign it. Then they would go back to the computer, hand-enter, hand-type those email addresses and names into the computer, onto the petition, and then they would email, after scanning the document, over to us. 
And, and yeah. we were getting physical mailings of the petitions being signed at events. And that's, that's what it means to, to really uh, take hold of this gluten-free lifestyle and help everyone out in the education and just be there for someone just as much as you are for yourself. And I think that really deserves a round of applause, too. And seeing support groups that I've never heard of, you've never heard of, they're, they're out there, they're doing amazing things, they're helping folks day in and day out, and then they're saying, send me that. I'll have someone hand sign it, and I'll enter it into a computer. It was just, that's staggering in itself. Yeah, and we actually, I forgot, we also had people donating really interesting things to it. I remember um, we had a blogger donate, she wanted to donate Facebook advertising credits. I mean, just everybody sort of pulling things out and saying, I can give this to the cause, and and really doing everything that they possibly could. And I think it speaks volumes to the beauty of our community and how united we can be and when the cause is right, we can all, you know, be on the same page. And I have to say, in the backroom meeting with Michael Taylor from the FDA that night, we had a meeting where he was uh, coming you know, to us to say, uh, you know, basically, I'm so sorry we have not done this. And, and that was, you know, a real moment. But he did not realize how united our community was on this and how – important it was in the daily life of anybody living gluten-free to know that the food that they're eating is truly gluten-free. And the reason why he did not think it was of high importance is because it's a voluntary regulation, which means that if a company chooses to label their product gluten-free, they would have to comply with the terms of the regulation dictating what that means. But because they weren't forcing anybody to, to label their products gluten-free, that made it a non it was a voluntary, you know, regulation. And so that sort of moved down on their list of, you know, things that they really needed to attend to, you know, here and now. And he just he said, I had the impression your your community was very disjointed and had different opinions about what the regulations should be and so we thought we would just give you guys time to figure it out and then when you figured it out you could come to us. And we said, We figured it out. <laughs> like we and John and I from the very beginning said we are not advocating for a particular standard. We're advocating for a standard. If we just at least are all talking about the same thing mm -hmm. then consumers can make an educated choice about the products because what I think that um, Mr. Taylor and others didn't realize was that the regulations, the lack of regulations had created a, you know, Wild West approach to gluten-free labeling. You'd have, you know, these manufacturers who would say, I didn't add gluten to my product, so I'm going to say it's gluten-free, and they weren't testing and they had no idea if there was contamination or they knew there was contamination but they didn't know how much all the way to people who were paying good money for independent certifications to prove that they're gluten-free. But to the consumer, the average consumer, how are they going to know the difference? And so it was really, really important to us that there just be a standard that we can all live by and understand what that standard is. And then the support groups and um, the independent agencies, rather, who are doing the certifications are free to set their standard higher. So and what I'm describing is that we expect the FDA later this year to put forth its final regulations based upon what they said in their draft regulations right after our event of less than 20 parts per million is gluten-free. The current 
certification organizations that are out there are certifying to less than 10 parts per million, and I believe CSA is less than 5 parts per million. So a gluten-free consumer would at least know if it just said gluten-free on it, it had to be less than 20 parts per million, but if they wanted it to be a higher standard, they could just buy food that was certified gluten-free by an independent agency showing that it was less than 10 or less than 5. So just having a common language that we could all understand and recognize was what we were asking him for. And when he finally heard us and realized that we were all saying the same thing, then he was like, oh, my goodness, absolutely. Within three months, I promise you, we will have a draft out. And to his credit, he absolutely did. And in August of 2011, they put out their draft regulations for comment, which, you know, we all sent our comments in. The comments were closed in October. And they said, we will have the final regulations issued by the third quarter of 2012. And, in fact, in the president's budget that came out at the beginning of the year, he actually said that they're that the FDA was going to put out final regulations on gluten-free food labels no later than the fourth quarter of this year. So we're expecting it between the third and fourth quarter. If you go to 1and133.org, there's actually a countdown on there, and you can always go check and see how many days left until the final regs come out, and that's when we're expecting them to be out. But so the end of this year, we will have final regulations from the FDA on what is gluten-free for food labeling purposes. And that is such an achievement that we can all be proud of, um, every one of us, down to you know, the anybody who just simply signed the petition. Your voice mattered and was heard and contributed to the success of this amazing, amazing event. Yeah, and I think I think to every single person who put up the petition on their college dorm wall, I heard about people doing that too, to everyone marching down on May fourth to Capitol Hill and to all the TV anchors and the reporters and the magazine writers and editors and, and bloggers, all of those people have a part, whether they sign the petition or even not, in actually putting these guidelines out, getting these standards. And I think a couple of years from now, people will realize the magnitude of that event and the true importance of that cake and how you know it's really not going to crumble. It's only going to harden over the years. And people are going to realize how solid it is. And every single step that they put out there was a huge leap for this industry. Yeah. Well, we only have two minutes left, but finally, workaholic Lee Tobin is on the line. All right. Thank you for calling in, Lee. <laughs> I've been on hold for a half an hour. <laughs> well, <laughs> it just seems like that, right? Thank you so much uh, well, for no, calling I've, in. I've, we- I've enjoyed the discussion. Well, we have um, been singing your praises, and without you, absolutely, you and Aggie were completely instrumental in this, and we just are giving you virtual applause, and, you know, kudos to you and to Whole Foods and to everything that you were able to bring to this amazing, amazing event. And I just have to say, you know, it was hilarious when I called to ask you to be on the show tonight because you said, don't tell me you're calling to ask me to build another cake. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. Exactly what I thought. Please take my call. <laughs> yeah. No, you you have been amazing throughout this whole thing. and. I can think of no one better to be able to share, you know, this whole experience with and without you and what you brought to this equation, it certainly would never have happened. So maybe someday in the future we'll build something else together, but in the meantime, rest easy. I'm not asking you for it right now. So I would be more than happy uh, to, to build another cake with you, Jules. It was so much fun. Well, 
you were on the record. <laughs> and also, I wanted to just say, for anybody who's listening, you can listen to podcasts of all of my other recordings and interviews on Blog Talk Radio. You can get to them from blog.julesglutenfree.com or Blog Talk Radio. And Lee Tobin was my very, very first gluten-free voice radio interview. So check it out. Go and, and listen to it when you have time. And thank you to all of you who were able to join me tonight and also to Chef Aaron Flores and to Elitra who were, were not able to join us tonight because they were working. Thank you for all of you out there who supported this event. We all have a lot to be proud of. <laughs>